Blog Talk Radio.
Hallelujah. Welcome to Jesus in the Morning. I'm your host, Evangelist Barbara Pittman of Freedom Doors Ministries, and I come to you live each weekday morning, 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, and today is May the 30th, 2023, five months and 30 days into this new year, and tomorrow after tomorrow, it will end the month of May, and we're right into the month of June. And so we're grateful unto Almighty God who have all the power uh, for bringing us five months and 30 days into the year of 2023. And today we're going to continue with Exodus and looking at the rules and regulations of Almighty God. Yeah. And uh, he laid down the law for his people and in hopes that they would obey. And if they obey, just like today, if we obey his word, we're in for a better life. But when we don't obey and we taking things upon us, then we have some issues. Yeah, big issues. But if we are following the instructions of God, we would be a blessed people. Yeah. You won't have as much stress. You know, a lot of us, we're older. And, uh, we go through some things because old age causes a lot of difference to come about in your life. And sometimes we've been here a while, so bones and, and, and limbs and all kind of stuff, you know. But God, that's all I can tell you this morning. But God, he's a healer. Yeah, he's a heart fixer, mind regulator. He can uh, massage the joints, the bones. He can add back what has been lost. He's that kind of God, but it all come about with faith and prayer, believing and talking to God about your situation, and I'm grateful unto him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And so God is just faithful, and uh, I don't know no one who is as faithful as he is. So listen, we're going to one more song of the morning, and uh, we're coming back with our morning prayer. And uh, I have a testimony uh, I want to share with you today. So we are bring that testimony forth. And uh, just know God is faithful. God is faithful. And uh, he's on our side in spite of us. So let's go to this one. Come back with prayer, testimony, and then we're going to talk about Exodus 23 today. Gloria and I wrote this back in 1963, back when your mom and daddy were just courting, right? Just courting. Yeah, right.
Father God, in the name of Jesus, we come before you this morning, Father, thanking you for another Tuesday morning. We thank you for life, health, and strength. Thank you for this day that we've never seen before. Thank you for watching over us as we slumbered and slept. Father, without you today, we can't do nothing. So we're thankful for all that you have allowed us to get done. We're grateful to you. We appreciate you. Father, we love you today. Because it was you who first loved us. And without you, we wouldn't know what love is. Help us today, O oh God, to walk up right before you. To look to the hills from which cometh our help. All of our help comes from you. You made the heavens and the earth. And we're grateful unto you for wisdom, for knowledge, and understanding. We thank you this morning. Can't thank you enough. And Father, we bring every caller and every listener before you those coming through the archives and the podcast, Father, bless today as only you can do because you have all power and we know that you're able. And Father, we are believing this morning that you're willing. Ask that you would bless every household represented here, every family member, every friend near and far. Father, we ask this morning that you would open doors for us, make ways for us, we know that you supply need according to your riches and glory by your son, Christ Jesus. Help us today, O oh God, to walk in you, to walk in your spirit, to walk according to your word. Remind us of Israel in the wilderness. Remind us not to grumble and complain and murmur, but to be grateful and to be thankful for all you've done because you're yet doing great and mighty things for us. We thank you this morning. And Father, we come asking that you would touch and heal the sick, remove every pain, every bad feeling, oh God. We know that you heal all manner of sickness and disease. Do it today for your people. Father, there's yet healing in the hem of your garment. And as we press in today to you, heal us, oh God. Heal us spiritually, mentally, physically. Emotionally, heal today, O oh God. 
for you gave us power, love, and a sound mind. And Lord, let the sound mind come forth in all of us today. And God, we see you and we obey in the name of Jesus. We hear your word and we obey. We remember your word and we obey. We remember what you've done for your people already. And Father, we obey. All we ask all this in the name of Jesus this morning. Father, bless those that are incarcerated today, those that are in every branch of the military, widows and bereaved families, intercessory prayer people, Israel, Jerusalem, preachers everywhere. Father, preaching in the name of Jesus and obedience unto you and love for your people. Father, bless our brothers and sisters overseas, everywhere. And Lord, we ask that you would continue to bless America and the leadership of America. Have mercy this morning. Lord, help us to be careful what we say about our leadership. Lord, it may be true, but God, help us to keep our eye on you because you're the true leader, our leader, the believer's leader. Hallelujah. The Christian leader, the saints of God, the people of God, you lead and guide us. And Father, we ask that you would do it, lead and guide us in the right path for your name's sake. In the name of Jesus, we thank you this morning. Bless the segment of Jesus in the morning here. Lord, open our spiritual ears to hear what you're saying to us, each of us. We're the church. And Lord, we want to prepare for your coming. Remind us that we know not a day, not an hour when you return. So, Father, help us to keep our mind on you today. And it's you that will keep us in perfect peace. And, Father, we'll be able to operate in a sound mind to remember you're coming back, looking for us, the church without spot or wrinkle. Help us this morning to get out the spots and the wrinkles so that we can be prepared to go back with you when you come. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Lord, we have that faithful few here. Bless this faithful few. That, Lord, they'll continue to strive for perfection in you. That, God, they will continue to strive to obey your word and to obey your voice. And, God, send your wisdom, send your knowledge and understanding to this faithful few in the name of Jesus. We give you glory. We give you honor and praise. Father, we ask it all in Jesus' name. Those that's coming through the archives and the podcast. Lord, do the same for them in the name of Jesus. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you all the praise. And we're asking it all again this morning. In Jesus' name, amen and hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for hearing and answering our petition, our prayer. Lord, we thank you this morning that you are ours. You are ours. We belong to you. And, Father, you made us for your pleasure. We're grateful unto you this morning. We can't tell you thank you enough. And, Father, we know that you're on our side today in spite of ourselves. You say, come, let us reason together. Though your sin be as scarlet, I wash as white as snow. Hallelujah. You're cleansing this morning. And, Lord, we're going through some things. But we know that you're able to bring us out. The darkest day, well, the darkest hour is right before day, right before day. And God, we're right there at our day, and we thank you for it. You told us we could cast our cares upon you, for you cared for us. Hallelujah. We're casting all our cares 
upon you. But Father, you're able to bear no matter how heavy the burden is. And you won't put any more on us than we can bear. But we come asking again this morning that you would fix our hearts and regulate our minds. Let us operate in a sound mind in the name of Jesus. And we bind up the enemy, oh God. We bind up everything that's not like Jesus coming our way today. Anything that's not your son that's coming our way, we bind it up and cast it to the pits of hell in the name of Jesus, never to return. And Father, we ask that you would rebuke the devourer for our sake, for he come to kill, steal, and destroy. And Father, he want to kill our dreams and visions. He want to steal the good thoughts that can be in our mind. And he just want to destroy our lives. So Father, we are leaning and depending on you. And God, you would fix it all for us in the name of Jesus. Clear thinking. Clear thinking. Nothing confused. Because confusion is of the enemy. It's not of Almighty God, Father. And you know this. And so we ask for clearness in our thoughts, in our minds, in the name of Jesus. We thank you right now. Hallelujah. We thank you right now, God. We give you glory. We give you honor this morning. We worship you in spirit and in truth. And God, we praise you. Hallelujah. For you alone are worthy. Again, we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. So listen, we're going to, yes, clearness. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to listen to this testimony, and uh, I'm a bit excited about it because I know what God can do. I, I, I know what I was into, and I know what he brought me out of. Hallelujah. And if he did it for me, he can do it for anybody. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So let's take a listen. I went right back in into the drug distribution, bringing in hundreds of kilograms of cocaine, millions of dollars, party life. And I opened up the window, the cops was there with their guns drawn, freeze, you know, don't move. So I went back in my home and I looked at my wife and I told her, my life is over. And the preacher says, there's a gentleman here that has been chasing after things and those things have led him down a road of destruction. He says, the peace that God can give you will surpass all of your understanding. I was raised in uh, Queens, New York. Uh, my parents are from the Dominican Republic. Uh, and they arrived here in the early 60s with my two eldest brothers. Um, and so they wanted to extend their family and they had three additional children. And I'm the youngest of five uh, boys. Uh, it was um, really challenging at home because five brothers, five boys, you could only imagine the competitiveness and one trying to try to find their identity within the household. Um, but I was the youngest, and so I was always taken care of and looked after. Um, and so growing up in New York City, such a diverse community in Queens, um, you know, at my earlier age, uh, about 11, 12, in the early 80s and 90s, it was the trend of New York City with the hip-hop culture. Um, there was gangs surfacing in the area, and so I wanted to kind of fit in and be a part of that culture during the time. And so I got involved with some young people uh, in the community, which they were, you know, uh, local gang members, uh, and I was introduced to marijuana. I, I, 
basically at 12 years of age. Um, once I tried marijuana, I tried to conceal it from my parents. I had two other siblings that were also sort of, you know, involved with, with me. And, um, and so we started to consume marijuana and alcohol. And that really caused a lot of problems because my parents were somewhat noticing of my behavior. Uh, they noticed that I was really changing in my attitude towards them and towards school. Uh, and so at the age of about 13, I decided to join fully into this gang in Queens, New York. And I remember I was hanging out in a park, uh, smoking weed, marijuana, and this two assailants, two uh, people entered the park, and they approached us. And one of the guys took out a bat and almost hit me and tried to hit the gang leader, and he ran off. And as he ran off to the right, uh, I kind of, you know, stood up to sort of grab my posture to a fighting posture, right? And as I looked towards my right, uh, the person that was there, the assailant, he pulled out a, a firearm and shot my friend and said some words to him, said, look, next time you mess with me, I'm going to kill you. Uh-huh. Uh, so when they left the park, I approached them. I didn't see any blood, and I picked up his shirt. And apparently it seemed that he had internal bleeding. And he eventually passed on. You know, it was... I thought that was was going to shake my core, right? It was going to change my behavior, um, but it didn't. I continued to, you know, be involved in, in this gang um, and consume drugs and smoke weed, and then eventually that led me to use cocaine. Now, in the early 80s, cocaine was being used in the streets. It was, it was sort of like a fad. People wanted to be a part of the Hollywood culture, and people were using cocaine, and um, I tried it. And when I tried cocaine, I was totally hooked to the drug. And there were some local dealers in the neighborhood. And I had approached them and said, look, you know, I can sell some drugs. Uh, I'm young. I, what are they going to do to me? You know, the cops. So I started to sell small quantities of cocaine wow. uh, in this particular neighborhood of, of Queens. And it was all to sustain the habit um, to use the, the drugs. And that eventually led to me using heroin. Um, How old were you then? I was about uh, 13 and a half wow. when I started using heroin. Um, and then at, at that time, you know, I was just really strung out using cocaine and heroin. Did your parents notice any difference? As, I mean, as... they, they noticed my behavior that I was, yeah. you know, coming home, you know, drugged out. But they didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to interact with me. They didn't know how to address the situation oh. being, you know, from from uh, Dominican Republic immigrants. So they didn't know how to deal with the current situation that they were dealing with their son. So I remember one day I was hanging out with some guys and I said, look, let's do some, you know, let's do a robbery. And we committed a robbery and I was arrested and I was sent up to juvenile detention center in Queens, in, in the Bronx. And there um, I, they sentenced me to close to a year in prison. And so when I was released, my parents said, enough is enough. They concocted a plan to send me to the Dominican Republic thinking that would change my behavior and my character. And they sent me off to my grandparents' home. And so when I arrived there, you know, I'm in the Dominican Republic, trying to kind of fit in uh, to the kids there and try to find my place in this island and this community I was living in. And so they uh, registered me to a private school. And as I was there, I was trying to, you know, fit in with the local kids. 
and I, I just didn't feel comfortable. Uh, my Spanish wasn't 100% at the time, even though my first language was Spanish, and I just wanted out. I didn't want to be a part of this school. And so the, I remember not going to school. They had strict regulations at this particular uh, school, and I was expelled. And so my grandparents said, you know, this kid is just a tough kid, so I know what I'm going to do with him. I'm going to take him out onto the fields. They owned some land. Uh, my grandfather was in the agriculture business, and he said, I'm going to show him a lesson. I'm going to give him hard labor. And he, take, he took me to this field, passed me a machete, and said, you're going to work the fields with me. And he owned, um, you know, he was uh, harvesting rice and plantains and, and other uh, vegetables, and, and he put me to do hard labor. And I was like, I, I wasn't called to do this. Like, what is going on? So I, I did that for a while. And, you know, unfortunately, in the Dominican Republic, alcohol is readily available to young people. And I started to consume alcohol and drink, you know, arrive home drunk. And my grandfather, he was just upset with me. He's like, I don't know what to do with this kid. So he contacted my mom and he said, we need to send him back to New York because he's just creating havoc here. He's a nuisance and we're just tired of his behavior. And so they contacted my mom and my mom said, okay, you know, I don't know what to do with this boy. During my time there in the Dominican Republic, I had met soon-to-be wife, you know, uh, Alexandra, through a friend of mine that was living in the Dominican Republic at the time. And so we just became friends, and uh, they sent me off to New York. And I was back in New York City, you know, going to high school. And the first semester of high school, I ran into Alexandra. And so we started to talk, and then we started to date, and um, we became close. And I just... You know, at the time, I was still sort of thinking, you know, do I continue to behave the way I was behaving, you know, getting involved in gangs, or do I get really serious with my girlfriend? And so I decided to get serious with my girlfriend, and right out of high school, uh, we got married. My parents were like, what are you doing? You got to go to college, you know? And I was like, I'm in love. Latinos, we get married early. I got married, um, and I was, you know, living with her. And my second eldest brother and my fourth eldest brother were involved in this cartel out of Colombia. And they were distributing cocaine to the United States. And uh, I didn't want no part of it because I knew that, you know, drugs had affected me as a teenager. And um, I figured, you know, I don't want no part of what they're doing, distributing hundreds and hundreds of kilograms of cocaine. They had luxury cars, expensive homes, but I just didn't want no part of it because I knew that it affected me as a young person. You know, I was addicted to drugs, and I remember uh, one day being laid off from work, and I contacted my fourth eldest brother, and I said, look, I need money. And I said, I don't want to sell drugs. I need to get involved in your uh, business dealings. And so he invited me to the stash house. It has some security measures in place. And so when I got there, the first thing that I witnessed was a Mac-10 on the table. Uh, they had the TV blasted to muffle the sound of the counting machines. And towards my right, there was hundreds and hundreds of dollar bills, uh, different denominations in 50s and 20s. And he said to me, I want you to count the money and let me know how much money is there. And so I counted this money. There was $1.2 million in cash. And so... The TV was blasted to muffle that sound of those counter machines. 
as I was counting the money, and it seems surreal. You know, that I'm over here counting, I'm involved in this drug enterprise, and I'm counting $1.2 million, and I'm only like 20 years old. Wow. He rewards me by giving me thousands of dollars. And I was like, wow, this is an easy end. So I started to immerse myself further into the enterprise, and now I was not just counting the money. I was distributing the cocaine. I was organizing drug uh, stops and runs with the organization, and millions of dollars passing through my hands. So I started now to get involved fully into the operation, and I thought I was on top of the world, having all this money, party life, in clubs, hanging out with celebrities, going to their mansions, uh, thinking that, you know, this is the life. You know, I have all this gain, I have all these riches, you know, I'm living the life. One day, I was in my car, my brother said, look, we got to make this run, we got to drop off this narcotics to this client in Manhattan in front of this luxury hotel. And so we usually don't make those runs. We have our workers take the drugs, and we usually have in our vehicles what we call in Spanish caletas. They're uh, compartments in the vehicles. They're called traps, where we have kilograms uh, housed in those areas. And so that day we decided to take the drugs ourselves because my brother wanted to meet this particular client. So as I was driving, there was uh, uh, TNT officers that were pursuing us. I had no idea. But when I looked back, I noticed that someone was following us. And so I sped away and got close to the Queensboro Bridge, which separates Queens and Manhattan. And all of a sudden, as I stop at the traffic light, I see a patrol car approaching our car and a number of other cars behind us. We usually have, when we do these runs, we have someone in another vehicle driving just in case that anyone pursues us, that that other worker of ours would crash into the police car and that we can get away from the cops. That only happens in Hollywood. It didn't happen in our case. The cops surrounded our vehicle. They arrested us. They hauled me to, to the local uh, precinct. And I remember I was in the, in the precinct thinking, man, I'm caught now with 25 kilograms of cocaine in the trunk of my vehicle. Now they know our stash house. They went there and they seized an additional six kilograms of cocaine wow. inside a Mercedes-Benz 600. And I'm in this prison, and the very first reaction was, I need to get out of jail. I wasn't thinking about the wrongs I did, that I, I'm hurting society, you know, spewing narcotics out into the communities. I was just thinking about self. I wanted to get out of jail. So I contacted my attorneys. We had attorneys in place. And I said, listen, do the best that you can. We need to get out. And the very next day, I pick up the newspaper, and what was blasted across that particular newspaper read, $3.8 million seized of cocaine. Two brothers incarcerated facing life in prison, no bail. At the time, Mayor Giuliani uh, was the mayor of the city of New York, and he wanted to crack down on drug traffickers and drug dealers. And the prosecutor was Richard Brown, and I was faced with life in prison, not knowing what to do, you know, trying to figure things out at that moment. The attorneys come back and say, look, we're going to work out a plea. You have no bail, but we're going to work out a plea. They're going to give you three to nine years of incarceration and your brother four to 12 years. Now, I was housed in a notorious jail called Rikers Island, where at that time and still today, there's thousands of people incarcerated, over 14,000. 
And I'm housed in this prison trying to, you know, again, figure things out. And the day came of my sentencing. I got three to nine years of incarceration. My brother, 4 to 12. So they sent us out to state prison. And in state prison, there was an opportunity that arose that whether I can either sign into a program, which was a military camp, my sentence would be reduced almost in half. And I had already in about a year and a half incarcerated. And so I, I, I seized the opportunity and said, okay, I'm going to sign to this program, which I did. And they sent me off to a program called Shock, which is basically to rehabilitate young people or people that are, um, you know, consuming drugs or involved in drugs. And it was just a deal that the uh, attorneys worked out with the prosecutor. And I figured I'm going to sign into this program because I'm going to, you know, get out only in, in six months. As I arrived to this facility, the very first thing that would happen to me was that I had ex-Marines on my face saying, get in parade rest. Give me 100 push-ups. I'm like, what in the world is going on? What is this? And as I was there to try to fit into the regimen and the program that was registered for these inmates to apply, if they don't finish it, they go back to state prison and do their time. And I wanted to go to the chapel. Again, I, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I had a form of godliness, but denying its power. So I knew a little bit about Christianity, but I didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ at the time. And I went to the chapel and I wanted to negotiate with God. And so as I went there, I said, God, if you allow me to pass this program, because I don't want to go back to state prison and finish my time. I got to do three to nine years of incarceration. But if you allow me to finish this program, I promise you, I'm not going to drink alcohol for six months. It was ignorance on my part and stupidity. Instead of saying, God, change my life. Look what I've done. I'm destroying communities. I'm destroying lives. But it wasn't like that. I wanted to negotiate with God. And I finished the program, and upon my release, I was out in society, out on parole. And the first thing I wanted to do after I completed those six months is to go have a drink. So I went to a bar to celebrate the end of my sobriety, the end of me consuming alcohol. And, and as I was there, how the enemy sets us up, I run into an old associate, an old person that I had drug runs with, and he said, listen, I am controlling now over a ton of cocaine. If you want in, you let me know. And as I was hanging out with, an old, uh, with a buddy of mine, having a drink and and kind of thinking of what he was saying, I, my mind was racing, thinking, man, I can make hundreds of millions of dollars. I could be on top of the world again, on top of the game. I know now how the police operates. I can have more control over the distribution of cocaine, which I was selling throughout the eastern seaboard. I was like, I can do this. I can make this happen. But my heart was saying, don't do it. So I go back to... In the, in the bars, I was drinking, and I go back to this individual, this Colombian individual, and I tell him, I'm in. I want to take now, give me 11 kilograms of cocaine. So I send my employee to get the drugs. And it reminds me of the scriptures in Proverbs 26:11, where it says, as a dog returns to its vomit, so do fools repeat their folly. Wow. I went right back in into the drug distribution, controlling different locations, of distribution points, 
bringing in hundreds of kilograms of cocaine, millions of dollars, party life, you know, spending tens of thousands of dollars. And my second eldest brother had another case going up, pending case, and he got busted in Miami, and they extradited him to New York. And when I found out about his extradition, he was in New York, we bailed him out on a half a million dollars. And as, I, as he got out of jail, he said, what are you doing? I said, man, I'm back in. I'm controlling hundreds of kilograms of cocaine. He's like, great, I want to partner up with you. And so he partnered up with me, and he had a client that was working. Uh, he had a, a trucking company where he would distribute cocaine from Miami to New York and from California to New York. And so we used this service to house the drugs there, you know, thousands of kilograms, hundreds of kilograms of cocaine. Unbeknownst to us, he was working with the DEA, Drug Enforcement Agency. He was negotiating with us. We were giving him drugs to pick up. And all along, he was recording all of our conversations. And also, he had drugs that we were giving him. As time went on, we were being investigated by the Drug Enforcement Agency, by the uh, federal government. So my brother and I were living this life, you know, drinking, partying. And then one day, cops surrounded our vehicles, and they arrested us, and they sent us to a prison in Manhattan called Metropolitan Correctional Facility, uh, Metropolitan Correctional Center, where the uh, notorious drug lord, El Chapo, was housed. And then from there, we negotiated. I tried to negotiate my case. I was waiting about two or three months to see if I can get bail. My brother was denied bail because he had revoked his first bail, getting indicted on the second case uh, with me. My attorneys finally worked out a deal, and they got me out with a half a million dollars uh, out on bail. And so I'm out on bail, trying to figure things out, talking to my attorneys. What am I looking at? And they told me, you're looking at 18 to 25 years of incarceration. And I was like, I'm going to have to do something, you know, and I'm trying to think about ways of getting money again because everything was seized. I lost everything that I'd had before. The very first reaction was I could stick up the uh, drug cartel. But then I thought if I do that and I steal tens of millions of dollars, they're going to go after my family. So what I did was I was just inebriated every day, drinking from morning to night, getting drunk. And I told my driver because I couldn't drive. I was, uh, they were looking for me, the cops, because I decided to jump bail. So I was a fugitive. So I had drivers drive me around. I would hide out in casinos. I would hide out in different homes. And one day, after being out on the land for six months, I told my driver, drive me to my house. And I lived in a gated community. He's like, you crazy. Cops are looking for you. I said, I want to see my wife and my kids. And as I went there, the very next day, my wife picks up the phone, and it was the police, the state police, marshals, uh, federal officers, and they told my wife, tell your husband to surrender himself. If not, you know, it's going to go ugly for him. Uh, if he has any guns, toss it out the window. You know, we want this to, to, to be a smooth transition of his arrest. So my wife wakes me up. He says, the cops have the house surrounded. My very first reaction was, put on my clothes, open the window, jump out. As I opened up the window, the cops was there with their guns drawn. Freeze, you know, don't move. So I went back in my home, and I looked at my wife, and I told her, my life is over. Open the door. Cops came rushing in. They handcuffed me. 
my kids were young at the time. You know, uh, they were three years old, four years old. And so my wife placed them in the back room. And so they came charging in. They arrested me. My wife just, she had such uh, anger and rage because she felt like this is it. I'm losing my husband. She said, you know, put your guns down. He's right here. And so as they arrested me, they took me into their waiting vehicle and they placed me in the back. As they sped away, I remember kind of looking back and my wife filled in, she filled in in what took place there that day uh, after the cops uh, sped away. But they were celebrating and they were saying, we arrested this drug lord. They were celebrating, you know, rightly so. But in the same token, my wife felt like, man, my husband, I'm never going to see him again. I'm never going to see him again. And as they were in the vehicle, I told the officer, and they were going at a high velocity. I said, open the back door. I want to end my life. And he said, you never know what could happen in your case. So I responded, and, and, you know, and I looked at him, and I was like, I don't know. I felt a sense of relief for a moment. And they took me to a federal detention center, so I waived my extradition to New York where my case was out of. You know, what was crazy is that as they were transporting me to New York, it was like the movie Con Air because they took me to an airfield, private airfield, this, lane, this airplane lands. You have all these federal officers with, you know, high-end rifles. We're all chained up. They surround the aircraft. And I was like, man, I'm really in for a long haul here. This is, this is a big case that I'm deal, dealing with. And, and so they transported me in this van to New York City to Brooklyn, New York, MDC, Metropolitan Detention Center. Now, little did I know in the way that I was, when I was going to prison, that my brother had surrendered his life to Jesus in the six months that I was out as a fugitive. And I didn't even know. I didn't have a contact with him. I didn't know about his conversion. And his prayer was, God, send my brother to the same facility, the same cell block where I'm housed, so I can share the gospel with him. And I had no idea. And so I arrived to MDC Brooklyn. And as I arrived to the detention center and I enter this unit, and who do I see? My brother. And he looks at me and he just extends his hand up in the air and he says, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And I look at my brother with indifference. I'm like, what are you talking about? Praise the Lord, hallelujah. We're in jail. He's lost his mind, you know. So he's like, you know, God loves you. You don't understand. I've been praying for you. I've been praying for your salvation. I'm like, what are you saying you've been praying for my salvation? You've been praying for, for me to, to be in jail with you? You know, and he said to me, one day you'll get it. And he, you know, he kind of smiled and, and he said, it's good to see you. It's good for you to, you know, to, to be alive. Uh, because he was uh, having this prayer with God in this moment six months prior that I didn't know. And he said, God, if you don't bring him here that I can share this gospel, they're going to kill him. You know, he's perhaps he's running wild out in the streets. And I'm there and I'm trying to deal with my case and I hire different attorneys and they're giving me bad news. And I'm in the detention center, locked up 24 hours. I'm not seeing, you know, outside, you know, it's in a warehouse that I'm housed in. And I'm just trying to figure out my ways. Again, I didn't have no repentance. 
I didn't have no conviction of my actions. I just felt a worldly sorrows, as the scripture says, that leads to uh, condemnation. Condemnation leads to death. And I'm there trying to figure things out, again, trying to do it my way. And I'm so distraught. I'm so depressed. And the attorneys come back with the bad news. And they said, you're facing minimum of 18 years of incarceration. Wow. And I'm trying to communicate with my wife, can't get a hold of her. I'm, I'm talking to my mom, calling her, I'm talking to these attorneys. I fired one. I hired another one, fired him, and I have no money now. And I'm down to the last attorney. And my brother says, I want you to come to the chapel. Now, this chapel was being controlled or not controlled, but being the services were being held by inmates. And he said, I want you to go to the chapel. What you need is God. And I felt that there was no other recourse. I tried everything. I tried my own strength. I tried my own will and power and money, you know, and those things failed me. And I was just so empty and depressed. And so I went to this chapel and I sat down in the back observing this religious service from these grown men that are facing life in prison from cases of murder. You know, they're being, they, they were extradited from Colombia and other countries to face their charges in New York. And I'm like, what is going on? And they're testifying. And they're talking about the goodness of God and giving word about how their lives are being transformed even though they're facing life in prison. And the preacher says, there's a gentleman here, there's someone here amongst 55 inmates that has been chasing after things, and those things have led him down a road of destruction. And he is seeking after peace. And this is the word that I felt that God was telling me. I was telling God, I want peace. All I need is peace. I'm going crazy in prison. And as I'm sitting in the back, this pastor is saying, there's someone that's been telling God that he wants peace. He says, the peace that God can give you will surpass all of your understanding. You know who you are. God can change your life around. And I just felt this peace come over me. And I knew it was for me. I was like, man, how does this pastor or this inmate know my story? And I started, he says, you know who you are. And uh, he says, I want you to come to the front. As I was approaching the front, I just started to weep and cry. And I, and, and I just came before the Lord right there. And he said, look, God can change your life around. Just receive him in your heart. And he said the sinner's prayer. He says, God can change your life around. Do you believe in Jesus? I said, yes, yes. He died for you. He's, he wants to give you a new life so that you can become a new cre- a creation in him. The old will be gone and everything will become new. He's going to make you a new person within. And I just started to continue to cry. I said, yes. And I repeated this prayer over me as he was praying over me. And I felt like the spirit of God that was enveloping over me, it was taking hold of my life and it was taking all of that sinful destruction that I was doing with my hands, poisoning lives. And within my mind, I saw like flashes of mothers that were weeping because of their son that perhaps died of the same drugs that I was spewing out in society. I was seeing addicts. I was seeing women that was perhaps giving their, uh, selling their bodies to consume the very drugs that I was spewing. All of these flashes, these images that was crossing through my mind and I just told God I'm sorry God forgive me of my sins 
And, you know, the Bible says that that what happens is that when it's godly sorrows, it leads to repentance, and repentance leads to salvation. And I wanted to make amends with everybody. And I remember getting up, and I felt that this weight was off my shoulder. Wow. I didn't feel depressed. Even though I was in prison, I felt free. And I, I, I went to... Um, where the phones were located, and I made a phone call, and I called my mom. I said, Mommy, I said, Mom, the scripture says that I'm born again. I don't know, but I want to make amends with everybody. I'm sorry, you know, what, I, what I've done to you and, and our family. And I remember trying to reach my wife, and I couldn't reach her. You know, I wanted to, to just, I was telling everybody in, in the uh, housing unit, hey, man, I, I'm sorry. And they're looking at me like, they thought I was crazy. Sorry of what? And I was just so relieved at the fact that I was no longer in bondage, even though I was in physical change, uh, chains, but I thought that I was, you know, free. Yeah. How did your brother react from uh, for, uh, My about brother that? came up to me and said, that was what I was telling you. That was the prayer that I was praying to God for you. When you was out there going crazy, I was telling God, send you here so that you can listen to the gospel and be saved. And so those dots were connected. And, and he was so happy for me. And so my brother and I, we immense ourselves in Scripture. And we started studying theology. We, I remember writing to uh, different uh, colleges and saying, hey, I'm incarcerated. I want to be a student. And uh, they gave us uh, a free tuition. And so we started learning about the Word of God. Wow. And we contacted the American Bible Society and other local prison, uh, other local, excuse me, churches around the community to send us Bibles. And they were sending us Bibles. And so my brother and I became the pastors of this congregation. And it started to grow and grow. And we were ministering to hundreds of inmates. And we started to train our members, which inmates, of our church. They became the deacons. So every time an inmate would enter a housing unit, they would give them a Bible and a pair of shoes, a sandals, and some food and say, welcome to Five North. It is not... Metropolitan Detention Center. It is Miracle Deliverance Center. And the brothers in the back, Mendoza brothers, they're the pastors, and they got chapel every day. Go check them out. They would give us commissary, and that commissary, which was food, we would turn it around and give it to the inmates and give them a Bible. So God was just doing some incredible things there. Uh, we were seeing salvation. Uh, people were being healed. That the warden was saying, man, what is going on here in Five North? And it was just amazing what God was doing in this particular uh, jail. And I remember there was a guy that we had, a pastor that we had reached out to that had a radio station um, in New York. And his name is uh, the late uh, Pastor Leroy Wixley. He would become my pastor uh, when I was released. And we reached out to him, and we heard him on the radio, and he was giving a testimony about how he was in drugs, how he was in gangs, and how God saved him. And so he became our mentor in the outside. And he would send us letters, and it was just an amazing relationship we had with him. So I remember during my, my time in jail, I wanted my wife to come to Jesus. So I fasted three days, no water. This uh, other inmate came up to me from our church and said, Hey, brother, I want to fast for your wife for her salvation, and I want you to fast and pray for my case. And he had a pending case, and he wanted to be extradited back to his homeland. And I said, yes, brother. So we prayed and fasted for three days. No water, no food. And on the third day, I get a, a call from 
the correction officers, they come up to my cell and they say, Mendoza, you got to visit. So I go down to the visiting area. I thought it was my attorney. And I see my wife. And she was sit- seated there. And I approach her. And she had this frown look like, man, I got something to tell you. And so she looks at me. And she says, sit down. I have some bad news to share with you. And I said, can you give me five minutes? I want to share this good news with you. And, and I looked at her and I said, I'm sorry. I've been unfaithful to you. I've, you know, basically almost destroyed our family and our kids. You know, and I just want you to know that even though if you leave me today, I want you to know Jesus. I want you to know the lover of my soul. I want you to know the one that saved me. I'm a new man. And she looked at me, and the words, the Holy Spirit started taking a hold of her life, and she started to cry. And we started to confess our sins to one another. I started to share of all the wrongs I've done, and I said to her, you know, I want you to know Jesus. And she said to me, you know, I want what you have. You are more freer in prison than myself, that I'm out, in, I'm out in society. I want the Jesus that you are professing. And so I led her to the Lord. I prayed over her, and we prayed. We forgave our sins, one another. God forgive us for our sins right there. And we renewed our relationship and our marriage. And we reconciled our indifferences, and God saved her in that visiting area. And then I learned through my sister-in-law, uh, through my brother, actually, because my brother was incarcerated with me, that his wife, my sister-in-law, and my wife went to a church that, that week, and she got baptized in water. I'm in prison, and I'm preaching. I didn't even care about my case. I just wanted to preach the word of God, and many were coming to Christ. And I remember the day that I was about to get sentenced, 9-11 happens. So they postponed our sentencing date for three months uh, further, and uh, my, my attorneys came to visit me and said, look, we're ready for sentencing. He gave me a, pro- a probation report. So basically, it's before you get sentenced, they give you a probation report, and that just highlights uh, the things you've done in the community and also any of your past convictions. And I was like, forget it. They're going to give me 18 years because this is my second uh, conviction. And I, told, I looked at my attorney and I said, look, whatever report that the, the, the feds are giving me, I'm going to listen to the report of the Lord. If God wants me here for 18 years preaching the gospel, I'm going to do it. But if he wants me to be released from prison so that I can impact our communities and impact our society and work with young people, he's going to do the miracle. And he looked at me. He goes, okay, you know. And so I uh, get out into the courtroom, and I'm standing before the judge. I'm next to my attorney, and I glance to the back of the courtroom, and I see my wife. And I see my wife's pastor, which he had written a letter to the judge, and he was a former police officer. And then I see my family members there, my mom and other family members. And I remember standing before the judge, and all of a sudden, the prosecutor speaks. And he says, Your Honor, whatever time you impose on the defendant, I just hope upon his release that he would continue to do what he was doing in prison by educating other inmates and helping them out, that he would do that out into society by helping other young people and other people in need 
of uh, spiritual help and also uh, academia, uh, uh, educational help. And I look at my attorney. I said, did he really say that? I can't believe it. He's speaking on my behalf. And he says, whatever time you're imposing him, let it be so. But I just want to recognize that. And I couldn't believe that this is the prosecutor. And so my attorney speaks, and then I speak, and I look at the judge, and I say, Your Honor, whatever time you impose, I just want you to know that I'm a new creation in Christ. If you give me the opportunity to be released, I want to work with young people, and I want to help out those that had similar backgrounds to myself. And he looks at me and goes, that is all, Mr. Mendoza? I say, yes, Your Honor. And he sentences me to close to five years. I could not believe it. I was like, praise God. So as I uh, uh, go back to the unit, I testify of what God has done. And the time comes. I already had about two and a half years waiting for the outcome of my case. They send me off to the federal detention center to finish, to finish out my time. And I went to Lewisburg Penitentiary. And I'm there, and I'm preaching to the, minister, to the, the inmates there. And um, as I'm ministering to them, uh, I'm in a penitentiary. They send me off to Allenwood Low, to a low facility. So I'm preaching there, doing Bible study. Um, the chaplain there says, man, you need to preach at the, at the uh, chapel to the inmates. And I'm preaching and I'm ministering and I'm coming across, you know, former politician, uh, politician that was arrested there. Uh, he was housed in the facility I was in. Um, other cases of uh, people have, you know, committed all kinds of uh, crimes. And I remember one guy comes up to me that was involved in a Ponzi scheme of hundreds of millions of dollars. And he said, brother, God is going to take you around the world. You're going to be before world leaders, president, and all kinds of important figures. He says, your gift will make room for you and will bring you before kings. And he says, God is going to do that in your life. And I look at him, I'm like, is he serious? A former, you know, drug lord is going to be before world leaders and traveling the world? And I was like, okay, amen, brother. And so as I was finished my, my time there, I'm about to get released. My wife sends me my, uh, my clothing, my, 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 you know, my outside clothing. I put on my clothing, and I'm about to get released. And who picks me up? The New York State parole officers. And they arrest me. And they said, Mr. Mendoza, you're going to Rikers Island because you violated your parole. So after spending almost five years of incarceration, I was going back now from federal prison to the state jail. He says, you have to go to Rikers Island, and you have to go before the judge. So they put the handcuffs on me. I'm in the back of the car. And he doesn't seem like I was joyful. At the, I was like, well, I guess God wants me to preach at Rikers Island. So the, the uh, parole officer looked at me like, man. Usually inmates, they have an uproar. You know, they want to fight with us. They're like, I'm not going back to jail. And I started to minister to these officers on the way to New York from Pennsylvania. They took me to uh, McDonald's. They even removed the cuffs. And I'm ministering to them and talking about Jesus. And they handcuffed me again and take me to Rikers Island. So once I arrived there, I went to a, a cell before they sent me off to my uh, dormitory, to my housing unit. And I saw the deplorable state of these inmates. They were strung out, druggies. And I was like, God, you know, the cause of my hands. I said, I want to minister the gospel to these, to these inmates. And I 
you know, in, in federal prison, in state prison, they let you carry a Bible. And I open up to the scripture and I start ministering to these inmates and a few of them received Christ into their heart and they got saved. So they send me off to the housing unit. I'm ministering to gangbangers in there. And they come into my Bible study. I formed a Bible study there. And it was just incredible what God was doing. So I went to see the judicial judge. I was there for about six months. And he looks at my case. He says, man, you've educated yourself in prison. You've helped so many people. Uh, I see that hundreds of inmates have written letters on your behalf for leniency on your case from the federal prison. He's like, I'm going to release you to restore, revoke and restore, which means I'm going to send you back into the community. So I was like, praise God. So I'm getting released. And as I was going through these different steps before being released, the enemy was trying to put thoughts in my mind. How about if you get hit with another indictment? How about if you get another case comes out? And I was like, God, I've surrendered everything to you. Everything is out in the open. And I was released. And as I was released and I was crossing that bridge, from the island of Rikers Island, which is an island where 10 jails are located in. And as I went over and I was physically free, I just, I, I got on my knees and I said, God, thank you, Lord. Thank you for giving me freedom. And time went on. And so my wife and I started a not-for-profit. Um, I started to work for my attorney as a paralegal because I was studying a lot also about legal motions in prison. And I worked with them for a while, and I decided to leave that. And uh, working in this not-for-profit, being recognized by elected officials, then going to the U.N. to address world leaders. And the prophecy was being manifested, was coming to fruition. I was like, oh, this is what this, this man said in federal prison. As I was doing all this work in the community, I was being recognized by these, all these elected officials, going to City Hall, working with young people, getting them out of drugs and gangs, forming uh, basketball clinics, going to the different um, stadiums, talking to NBA players, Mets, uh, cha- I did chapel for the New York Mets. So I'm doing all these things. And I'm like, God, you know, this is what I was called for to, you know, work on your behalf out in society. And I remember um, one day that I get a call from a pastor and says, I want you to come to uh, connect with a Korean church. It's called Promise Ministries International. And I want you to work on behalf of children. I'm like, this is what I want to do, work with children and youth. So I came to the church, and it was amazing. I meet the, the, uh, the pastor. Now he's an emeritus, uh, Pastor Nasser Kim. And he starts talking to me about this movement called the 414 Window. I'm like, what is this? And basically it's to reach children from the ages of 4 to 14. And I start to meditate and think about that. And I was like, man, I wasn't reached at the ages of 4 to 14. No one spoke to me about the gospel. And now God is calling me into this ministry so I can reach these demographics, to reach these kids from 4 to 14. So the, the pastor uh, emeritus uh, at the time, was the pastor. He was telling me, "I want you to be a part of this church, part of this movement." And this started in 2009. So I started to work with him on this front to reach these children, these children from 4 to 14, and train world leaders on the importance of children ministry. We started to connect with uh, uh, One Hope with Bob Hoskins and West Stafford, 
Now he's emeritus from Compassion International and, and other world leaders. And we started to talk about with world leaders about the importance of children ministry. So I, start, I started to travel to Thailand, Singapore, and around the world, and in Asia, uh, Latin America. And I was just praising God and saying, Lord, this is what you've done. And you've called me for such a time as this to reach this generation and lead them to your kingdom. So I, I started to uh, work in this church, and I've been here for, I've been in Promise Ministries now for 14 years. Um, God is doing some amazing things in my life, and now I've, I've taken the role as lead pastor to start a Spanish congregation at Promise Ministries International in Flushing, Queens. And I wrote a book called uh, Shifting Shadows, How a New York Drug Lord Found Freedom in the Last Place He Expected, and is in Spanish as well. And now I'm, I'm currently in options for a Hollywood film, potential Hollywood film. And uh, God is just amazing in what he can do. He's taken a broken life that was shattered from drugs and gangs, and God turned it around to be his spokesperson to speak to world leaders. I received a letter from a former president of the United States being recognized at the House of Representatives in, in D.C. that God can take a life and turn it around and make it something new so that the world may know that Christ, that Jesus Christ can transform lives and can be uh, just so powerful in our world and so that we can walk lives in our communities and in our world. Amen. Herman, when you came out of uh, prison officially, when once you were done with that part of your life, how was it for you and your family when you come out, your kids haven't seen you for a while, right? Yeah. Your wife, thankfully, uh, is encountered by the Holy Spirit, gives her life to Jesus, but if you could tell us a little bit about that dynamic of coming from this life in prison, but then now starting life again, what did that look like? Did you have any struggles? Was it smooth? What did that look like for you? Uh, obviously, there was some struggles with uh, the, uh, the economic aspect of it. Even though I was working for, I had the privilege to work for my attorney, but it took some time to get there. And so there were struggles. There was a time I remember, and I didn't want to go to my parents and say, Mom, Dad, you know, help me out with money. Uh, my wife and I, uh, she was living in Pennsylvania at the time. I was in New York. And we were kind of, you know, grappling with the whole fact that whether I should return to Pennsylvania or move to Florida and just start this whole new life. And we didn't have money. She was the only breadwinner in the house because uh, I wasn't working for my attorneys at that moment. And we had our first apartment. It was very difficult. We didn't have resources, uh, but we had the church. And we were assisting we're looking around for a church in our local community, but even though we were attending our church in Manhattan, but we lived in Queens, and it was difficult, you know, going to Manhattan at the time. So we went to this local church just to eat breakfast. That's how bad it got financially. So that was one of the struggles. I didn't have struggles with alcohol. I didn't have struggles with temptation with women uh, because God had, you know, delivered me from that. But really, it was more the financial aspect of it. And I know that a lot of people that come, that come out of jail, they try to transition into society, and they end up going back to the streets. They end up going back to all, all they know to make a quick buck, and they get caught up again in sin. So it's very difficult, that transition. Thank God 
that I had people of faith, people within the church uh, mentoring me and guiding me along the way. So in that aspect, it was difficult. So my wife moved to New York, and then I got a job with the attorneys. And then me being an entrepreneur, I started different businesses with my brother uh, that eventually got out of jail. Yeah, I was going to ask you. He got out of jail six months after I was released. Wow. And then my other brother that was arrested with me in my first case, he was released way before I, I was released. So all my brothers now are serving the Lord. My eldest brother's a doctor, which he was never involved in, in any uh, ill gains and, and narcotics. And my third eldest brother, he's in medical school now, and he was never involved in this world. But we're all serving the Lord, and thank God that my mother and father got to witness us being born again, Christians, serving God. You know, and that was, that was an awesome uh, time for my mom and dad before they went home to be with the Lord. Come on. Herman, for people who are watching your testimony right now and are specifically coming out of prison, maybe they encountered the Lord in prison and and are in that space of of uh, struggling a little bit financially or whatever it may be, what can you say to that person right now who is watching your testimony, who is losing a little bit of hope and are watching your story? Yeah, I think that the most poignant uh, answer to that is basically to trust God in all circumstances. You know, the Bible says that, um, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, right? In the book of Philippians 4.13. And I think it's once we apply that principle and say, God, sometimes things are beyond our control and beyond our strength and beyond our ability, but I'm going to seek after help. And I think help is important, but when you seek that help in all the right places, People within the body of Christ, the church, that can give a good counsel, that can give a good direction and a good advice. I think that's where it starts at. And remember, everyone has gifts and talents. And as the scripture says that your gift will make room for you, you just got to find that and apply it and let that be that tool through Christ that can really bring about your aspirations and your goals to come to fruition. Yeah. Uh, but it's going to be struggles. It's going to be, you know, temptation. It's going to be, you know, those things in your life. But always press forward and always press on. Amen. For that drug dealer that's watching right now and hasn't come to the Lord, hasn't doesn't believe, um, but for some reason they've made it to this part of the video, what can you speak, what can you say to that person watching right now? That's a great uh, question. Uh, I'll use this as an example. When I came out of jail, um, there was a particular individual that used to be in our organization. He used to hang out with us and, and do a lot of uh, distribution for us. He was our muscle guy. When I was incarcerated, I used to write to him, and he was in jail as well on another case. And I used to tell him about, about Christ and how he changed me and share the gospel with him. And he was like, yes, I'm going to get right. You're right what you're saying to me. I need to change my life. And so when he was released, I ran into him in the streets. And he said, hey, man, I heard all about you, what God is doing. That's awesome, man. That's great. So I said, how about you? What are you up to? He said, yo, man, the streets is my calling. He said, I'm going to go back and get my hustle. And I was like, listen, if you go back to the streets, they're either going to kill you. You know, something's going to happen. You're going to get killed or you're going back to jail. And he's like, Jesus is good for you, man, but the streets and my hustle and making millions of dollars, that's what I'm going to do. 
And I felt so sad. And about a year later, probably less than that, my brother calls me. He says, pick up the newspaper. I pick up the newspaper, and it read, you know, rap bash turns, you know, violent. And my friend got killed coming out of a club. And, and I, you know, I felt so, so sad because I warned him, and he didn't listen. And he was with these two rappers, well-known rappers here in New York, and he was coming out of Latin quarters, and he got shot. And he had a gun on him. And he got killed. So this is what I would say, that today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow may be your last day. Now is the decision to follow Christ, to follow Jesus. Now is the time to say no more to that lifestyle. Don't do it because look what happened to my friend. He got killed in an instant. And so today may be your last day. So I would say to you is seek God you know, and he can change your life around. Herman, who is Jesus to you? Jesus is my Savior, my God, my Lord. He is everything to me. He is the breath that I breathe every day, uh, my comforter, um, and he is the one that I look for for, for guidance and uh, for every need that, that, uh, that I need in my life. Any last words for the people who are watching your testimony who have gotten to this, uh, to this part? That with God, all things are possible. You may have a prodigal son, a prodigal daughter, and may be in drugs and addicted to drugs or all kinds of addictions, perhaps even marital problems. God can turn their life around. It takes a prayer. It took a prayer with me. It even took a prayer with a friend of mine that also wrote a book. His name is Christopher Ewell. Uh, he wrote a book called Out of a Far Country. And it just takes a prayer. God can turn your son or your daughter, your brother, your sister, a loved one around. Don't give up. God can turn that, God can turn your family member around. And that's my advice to you. Uh, look at my life. You know, through a prayer, God turned it around. And it took prison. It took the, the, the extreme places. To do that, it may take the extreme places of depravity, of a deplorable state, but at that place, just like the prodigal son, he came to his senses. And your son, your daughter, your family member can come to their senses through prayer. Don't give up. God bless you, and God loves you. Amen.
of the goodness of God. I love your voice. You have led me through the fire in darkest night. You are close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend, and I have lived in the goodness of God. Hey, for all my life you have been faithful. Oh yes, you have. All my life you have been so so good. Every www.jesusinthemorningradio.com Hallelujah. What a testimony. And let me tell you, 
I could feel that thing. I could feel it. And certain things he talked about, I could see God all in it. I could see, like when the brother prayed for them to end up at the same prison. Yeah, and when the brother was like, hallelujah, and he couldn't relate at that time. That's God. I could see God in all of that. Because he have a purpose and a plan. And a lot of times we can't get it. We can't get it right away. Like, like with Israel in Egypt. They couldn't get it right away. Yeah. Moses, you done brought us out here to kill us. Wasn't it plenty of graveyards in Egypt? You could have let us die there and been buried there. All kinds of stuff. But this is what I've learned over the years. Hallelujah. I've learned to go to God. Go to him. And just simply tell him what it is that you need. Simply tell him what you need, what you want from him, if you don't know that he's real, if you don't know where he's at, if uh, you don't know if he's for you, whatever your case may be, you go to him and just simply talk to him. Sometimes you send people along and you'll hear things because he began to see the brothers in the prison and what they was doing, how they was praising and serving God and even at court. They had no shame in their game. They could openly talk about the goodness of the Lord. That's because they had a visitation from him. I've never known a person to meet Jesus and remain the same. Uh-uh. One thing I know is if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away and the whole all things has become new. Those desires you used to have, if you meet Jesus, if it's not of him, they'll change. Because he give you a brand new mind, a brand new heart. Now, I'm not telling you what they told me in church, Sunday school, Bible study, the preacher. No, I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you from experience. Been there, done that. Went to prison <laughs> in the year of 1983. That's been a while. And in there, I just knew, you know, God was for me. And I, I, I hadn't surrendered everything to him yet, and I'm still talking to him, you know. And I'm like, what kind of place is this I've ended up? And when I went there, you know, all through jail, now I'm in jail. Now I'm in prison. And, and my thought was this, what am I doing here? You know, I'm all that and a bag of donuts. <laughs> what? And the Lord told me this one day, spoke in my spirit and said this, look around you. You know, because you all that. <laughs> look around. Who are you in here with? Murderers, thieves, child molesters, all kind of stuff. A woman had eight kids and killed all eight. So if you all of that, how did you end up in here with these kind of people? You straighten it out in my mind. I humbled myself right there. Oh, no, I can't, I can't be in here thinking I'm all that. People begin to ask me questions. After you leave a reception and orientation, you go to what we call across the hill. So you go to the compound. And 
I'm walking around looking crazy. You know, I never had this kind of experience. Oh, I've been to jail, you know. But I never had this kind of experience. But I'm never scared. He didn't give me the spirit of fear. I didn't know that at the time, y'all. But I'm not scared, so I'm talking to people. I'm asking questions. They're laughing. And, you know, girl, you going to be all right? What's going on? I'm like, man, I don't know what kind of spot this is, but I'll think this is my spot. They say it's going to become your spot. Keep staying because I don't think you're going nowhere, you know. And because I was friendly and because I showed no sign of fear, I didn't have no problems. Now, the devil is everywhere, so you have evil lurking. And you have them kind that's watching you. To see what they could pull over on you or if they could make you whatever they wanted to make you. But see, they couldn't see that in me because I was never scared. But I found myself having Bible study on the lawn. I found myself having Bible study in the dorms. I found myself with people following me to the chapel for church service. Yeah, all of these things. Nobody can tell me today what God cannot do. You can't tell me what he cannot do, but you can tell me what he does. And he gives victory to drug lords, drug dealers, thieves, robbers, murderers. He gives victory to these kind of people, child molesters, rapists, because, you know, some of us, when we hear about child molesting and racing, oh, we just lose our mind. This is the scum of the barrel, the worst of the worst. But let me tell you something. <laughs> if the child molester or the rapist come to God in the realness, in the sincereness, God is going to make them new creatures. Old things are going to pass away for them. And behold, all things are going to become new. Because you know how church folks is. That's why we, I'm happy we are the people of God. We're not church folks. We're true believers. That God can change anybody and anything. Look at this man. Look how his life was going, but look how he ended up. Abraham Anthony. <laughs> we know some things. We know some things. We know that God is a deliverer. I feel like running on that right now. We know that God is a deliverer. And we don't look like what we've been through. Many of us have been to jail, prison, all kind of stuff. Both done done drugs. Now, I never was into that drug scene. Because for me, drugs was always for sale. It was never to be used by me. But it made me no better than nobody else. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. It made me humble myself and taste and see that the Lord is good. And he had a purpose and a plan for my life. And it wasn't what I thought it was, that American dream. It wasn't so I could have all of this luxury, die and go to hell. Uh-uh. He fixed it. <laughs> he made me an offer that I could not refuse. And I'm so glad the day that he did. Ooh, I'm so glad he made me that offer. Yes, I am. Had he not made me an offer, I couldn't refuse. Either I would be in the mental institution or dead. In the mental institution, not knowing who I am, what I was, what went on, who, 
who mother I was, whose daughter I I would know nothing. Or dead and gone. And just waiting on my sinners to go to hell. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? God is real if we allow him to be real. And you got to make him real in your life. You can't listen to these other people too. Be careful who you listen to. Because people will mess you up. Telling you what God is not. I said it yesterday. They told me many times. Because you know I, I, I went off with the Muslims for a minute to hear what they had to say and everything, you know, and it was foolishness, nonsense. And you, you, you gotta just just know that God is. They told me that this Christian religion come from slave masters who wanted to keep their slaves in bondage. I've been some places and checked out some things. I found out the truth. Jesus is truly the son of the true and living God, Jehovah, that have all power. I found out for myself. I'm not delusional. <laughs> I'm not crazy. I'm not imagining things. It is the truth. I tried the word of God for myself. And I found out it's the truth. All that I found out about God, I want to share it with somebody else. So he gave me a platform right here on Jesus in the morning. Share me as much as possible. Share me as much as you want. Go on and put your time in, Barbara. Because I'm coming back one day. And I'm coming back looking for you. And I want to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. But I need you to continue to talk of my wondrous works and make known my deeds among the people. There are going to be people, Barbara, that you couldn't imagine what they're going through. And once you see what they're going through, there'll be days when you all you can do is grasp and say, oh, that's all you can say. But as you continue to be there and continue to let your light shine, Continue to allow me to use you because it will never be you that bless the people. It will always be me. You just be as a vessel that I can use. Stay willing unto me. And look what happens. I will draw. I will put you in places with people where others would never be. I will put you in places with people that you have to be there all day, all night, all the time, it appears, until I deliver. Because many times I don't deliver instantly. The person have to go through channels and changes, and then I come, Barbara, and I deliver. Just like I did with Israel. They went through change after change, trial after trial. But what happened in the end, Barbara, they got the victory. Then he led them on out in the wilderness to teach them his ways, to teach them his laws, his rules, his regulations, his statutes. And many times we kicking against the prick. We just a kicking. I don't want it. I don't want it. I'm going to fix my own thing. I want to fix it. You can't fix it. <laughs> you wouldn't know which way to go. You don't have the power. He gave us power. Yes, we have some power. Love and a sound mind. But he's got all power. And sometimes it takes all power to battle the devil, to battle the enemy, to battle evil. Yes. 
And then God is making a point. My goodness, hey, glory, hallelujah. God is making a point. He's trying to show us, I have it all. Do you want it? What is it you want? You want evil? I'll let you have it. If you want to be holy because I'm holy, come to me. All that are burdened and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. I'll teach you how to be holy. I'll teach you how to walk upright before me. Do you really want it? Or do you want to mix it with your flesh? You want to mix it with the natural. It can't work. Because natural and spiritual are always at war. They're fighting against each other. And whoever you render to the most, that's who's going to win. Whoever you give the most to, whether it's natural or spiritual, that's who's going to win. Today we want spiritual to win because we're serving a spiritual God. He's a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The only way we can come to God is in the realness. If we want to be changed, if we want to be delivered, we got to get real with him. Tell him the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth because he already knows. See, he already knew about me. He knew I was in Alabama, and every day I'm on the porch drinking a Budweiser. Every evening in the summer, watching the cars go by. <laughs> I can see it like it was yesterday. I get a little buzz from the Budweiser. Then I started wanting more than one, if I'm honest. I wanted to drink the two or three on the porch. But he made it so I could only get one. And it come in my spirit one day, he's speaking to me, don't go and get another Budweiser. If you do, you're going to be dependent on it. Y'all know what that means. I will become addicted to alcohol, beer, starting off. And if I would have continued, then I would have wanted Kabassier, then I would have wanted Crown Raw and, and, and all of this. When it wasn't necessary. Come unto me, all that are burdened and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. I put it down, y'all. I never picked it up again. Come out in the evening, on the, in the cool of the evening on the porch, in the summer drinking cold beer. Uh-uh. That wasn't for me. He had a work for me to do. He had a purpose and a plan for my life. The day I was conceived. And before I was conceived, he didn't wait until that day and say, you know what? Mm, now that Barbara is conceived, let me see what I'm going to do with her. No, he already had the plan before I entered my mother's womb. He already had the plan. Some people call it predestined. He had a purpose for me and he had a plan. And he let me run my course to get all my testimonies. And at the end of it, he comes. I see, all I, that I was doing out there, I didn't know it was going to be a testimony. I thought it was just life. You know, you, you, you're striving, you're stealing, killing, whatever you got to do to get that American dream. There is no such thing. Your dream and vision should be in God through his word and through his spirit. But no matter what, he knows the very intent of your heart. So God come along and he see you got a good heart, but you're out here struggling and striving to do evil so that you can get what you think you need to get. So he know the heart he placed in you. He already knew what he chose and called you for. 
or called or chose you for, and he's coming and he's going to take care of it. Two brothers in there. One had already been released. The other one who was praying, he came out six months later. When I tell you, God is amazing. Now me and my brother can sit around a table and talk about some things that no one else who has never been in prison or jail will understand. They won't understand this. And people think jail and prison are bad places or it's the worst for a person to go. But let me tell you something. It's a place where God can sit you down (laughs) and change your mind and your heart. It's a place where God can make you better than you have ever been in your life. I have never been like this before. He changed my whole life. He made me over. I was born again of the spirit and the water. Today, nobody can make me doubt him. I know too much about him. Can't make me doubt him. I know God is. I get calls all through the night, all kind of stuff. Yeah, people trust me with their information. And I told you, I don't tell y'all everything that I do. Some know more than others. But you don't know everything that God used me for. Yeah. Mm -mm. And I learned this. Money answers all things, but some days money is not necessary. Well, most of the time for me, money is not necessary. If I need to help a family pay a light bill, a house note, a mortgage, I tell God about it and show up on the scene. He sends somebody with that amount. Sometimes he may send three people with the amount that I need to get these things done. Because it's not for any and everybody. Certain people he would use me to bless in these capacities. The baby need a certain kind of medication. And the insurance they got don't cover it. And this going on for at least three months. Each month that money is needed. God will provide. I have the money to get the medication. No tricks, no scams, none of that. They say sometimes, Barbara, uh, uh, would you go and pay for the med? No, I'm not coming way uh, over there. Uh, what I'm going to do is cash out to you, uh, go get the prescription, and, and, and take care of the baby. And then a lot of times they say, well, Barbara, look, I'm going to send you the prescription receipt. Please don't. I don't have time to read up on that. I don't have time to track you and God's money. His eyes are in every place beholding the evil and the good, not mine. And I know God sent you my way and sent me your way. What 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 is there for me to verify? But when you're not in the spirit and the spirit is not in you and you operate in your flesh, yeah, you're going to need some proof because you're thinking they want the money for something else. Of course, the devil come and God deny. Don't worry about it. <laughs> he deny. <laughs> Them that he uses, he gonna bless, use me to bless, or oh, they remain. But if he's not using me to bless you, something gonna fall through the cracks. I'm working with a brother. Every time I get ready, uh uh-uh. uh. I say, okay, Lord, I'm gonna stop this shenanigans, as they call it. I'm not gonna try to help him 
anymore because that's not for him. So some foolishness is in there. Y'all better hear me when I tell you this morning. Well, God is good, and uh, I'm not sure if we have enough time. And we may to do um, Exodus. Because that, 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 I'm telling you, that testimony really touched home, and it really excited me. Because look what he's doing now. He's spreading the good news of Jesus. He's spreading the gospel. Children. He's helping children. Even in city places. Could you imagine the male sitting in the corner watching you teach children or the city council or the governor or somebody? And you talking to children about the goodness of the Lord. The scripture said, train up a child in the way he should go. When he get old, he won't depart from it. I'm older. I couldn't depart. <laughs> in my early 30s, I had to come to Jesus. Them people had taught me in my younger years. My parents had taught me. And they taught me the truth. And when I got older, I, 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 I didn't know nowhere to go but to the Lord. I tried everything else. Look, I wasn't homeless and hungry. I, I wasn't any of that. But my mind, my mind, even talking to my dad couldn't couldn't fix the problem. It took the one who made me to make me over for the problem to go away. I feel all right right there. Somebody ought to say amen goes right there. I got to check on Everett, too. I ain't checked on him. I got to check on him and see how the song is going because I get that from him. He, the one who uh, sang years with Bobby Brown. Bobby Jones. Yeah, Bobby Jones. But uh, in every comment, interview, oh, God used it too, right here. And uh, he told about Amen. He wrote a song. God gave it to him. He said, Was that the same? Washing his hands, I think he said. And God gave him, gave him the song, Amen Goes Right There. I never forget. Never forget Everett. Yeah. So, look, we're moving on just a little bit further, and I want to go to Exodus and just read as much as possible, and then we'll come back about maybe 9.30ish. But if you have a testimony of something you want to share right now, please feel free to press that number one. And uh, I know that when 9.30 comes, to bring you in with your testimony of the day. Hallelujah. All right, let's read a little Exodus. I'm a little excited right here. And we're looking at Exodus 23. And of course, I got the basic English Bible on one side and my great friend, King James, on the other side. And starting at, verse, at chapter 23 in verse 1, it says this, Do not let a false statement go further. Do not make an agreement with evildoers to be a false witness. James said this, King James, thou shalt not raise a false report. Put not thine hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. Look, don't go to court lying on people. Don't tell other people lies about other people. People that haven't done anything wrong to you. Don't hear what somebody got to say about them and agree with that, and you don't even know them. You don't even know what they're saying is true about this other person. And then you go out and tell somebody else what they told you. You've been a false witness. 
You're making a false statement. You're evil doer. Yeah. Two says, do not be moved to do wrong by the general opinion or give the support of your words to a wrong decision. James says, thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil, neither shalt thou speak in a cause to decline after many to rest judgment. Don't do it. Don't go with the crowd. Somebody told you something bad and you you got your own opinion and you spreading your opinion about what you heard, not what you know. And even if it's true, don't do it. Stay out of it. Don't be an evildoer. Verse 3 says, neither shalt thou countenance a poor man in his cause. But on the other hand, do not be turned from what is right in order to give support to a poor man's cause. Mm -mm. Stay with what's right, what you know is true. If you come across the ox or the ass of one who is no friend to you, wandering from its way, you ought to take it back to him. You know the dog got out. And you know it's your neighbor's dog. And the dog is not violent. Take the dog back to his neighbor. Yeah. Verse 5 says, if you see the ass of one who has no love for you bent down to the earth under the weight which is put on it, you ought to come to his help, even against your desire. Even against your desire. Because see, your mind going to tell you that's my enemy. I'm not going to get this dog and, and help him. I don't like his master. The scripture said, even against your own desire, go on and help the dog, please. Help the animal, in other words. Six says, let no wrong decision be given in the poor man's case. So sometimes, you know, we don't like poor people. Not me. I love them. (laughs) Because the poor will always be among us according to the word of God. So we don't like them. So we'll come against them, lie on them, do anything, because they don't have what we have. We only want to hang with the birds, with the eagles, because we we don't do birds, and we feel like poor people are birds, but some poor people are eagles. God just have them in a certain position so that they can bless others. And when it's time to soar, because they don't fly, they soar. When it's time for the eagle to soar, that's what he's gonna do. Seven says, keep yourself far away. Uh, from any false business. Any false business. Don't lie about the lawsuit. Don't lie about the car accident. You know you wasn't hurt. Don't lie in the business telling people you're going to do one thing when it's another. Don't lie in the restaurant business telling that you cooking this and doing it that way and you're doing it this and charging more of this is organic. Nothing about it is real. Keep yourself far away from any false business. Never let the upright or him who has done no wrong be put to death. For I will make the evildoers responsible for his sin. I want you to hear me today. Don't 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 kill a man, even in the court system. Don't sentence him to death. And then you're going to sit there and let him sit on death row 20 years. In 20 years, a man can change. 
He's no longer a murderer now. He's no longer a rapist. Child molester, dope dealer, whatever. He done had time to change. Age changes most people too. But when you include God in it, it's even better. Mm, mm, mm. Age says, take no reward in a cause. For rewards make blind those who have eyes to see and make the decisions of the upright false. Don't get in nothing you shouldn't be in. False dealings and lies and thieving and all of that. Don't do it. And don't hook up with people that's doing evil. You know they're doing wrong. Stay away from them. He said, come out from among them and be separated. I know you're over there doing dope. I ain't going to have no partakings in that. I know you're over there bootlegging. I'm, I'm not going to have no partaking in that. On the job, they want me to do it this way and that way, but they say I'm, I, I got to find me another job. Look what he said in 9. Do not be hard on, on a man from a strange country who is living among you. For you have had experience of the feelings of one who is far from the land of his birth. Because you yourselves are living in Egypt in a strange land. Somebody different moving in the community. On my street, they're not African American. They're not white. They're not Hispanic. But let's say they're Asian. Let's say they're Chinese and they come to my country. Do you think I want to act a fool with them? Because they came from. China to Florida. I, I don't have time for that. If opportunity presents itself, I want to be a blessing to them. Because at one time I wasn't living here. I, I was over in the project, over in the ghetto, they call it, in the low income area. Yeah, I can't be against nobody but the devil. Verse 10 says, for six years, put seed into your field and get in the increase. Plant, when your harvest comes, get it. 11 says, but in the seventh year, let the land have a rest and be unplanted so that the poor may have food from it and let the beasts of the field take the rest. Do the same with your vine vine gardens and your olive trees. Let something rest. Here, I'm like my son Jesus. Let something rest so that it can come back better than it was. And whatever's left over, somebody else can get it. Back in the day, they called it gleaming the fields. The poor would come out and just take the rest that the landowner and the planter, the farmer couldn't use. 12 says, for six days do your work, and the seventh day keep the Sabbath. Going to work for six days, and that one day he required to be holy, going to let it be holy. But see, we done changed all of that, wicked and wiser. We done changed all of that. I can go to Walmart on Sunday. I can eat out on Sunday. Many times where I come from on Sundays, you went to somebody's house and ate. Old Charlie's wasn't open. 
The buffet places were open on Sunday. Yeah. So somebody from the church invited you over. If you were single especially, and being a man and a woman, they would invite you over. The pastor was able to come to our house and have Sunday dinner. The deacons, whoever. On Thursdays, they could get a meal sometimes because my mother had what they call a prayer band. They band together in prayer. Folk got saved in there and all of that. That old-fashioned stuff, yeah. And she made a meal. So when the service was over, everybody could eat. It was ladies, but sometimes men showed up. Somebody brought a man because he needed deliverance. And he wasn't going to nobody's church. They caught him on the spot. <laughs> yeah. For six days, do your work, and on the seventh day, keep the Sabbath. On the seventh day, keep the Sabbath. So that your ox and your ass may have rest together with your son of your servant and the man from a strange land living among you. Yeah. Take a break. Give God some praise. Go on in his house and worship him in spirit and in truth. Stop going in there all dressed up so folk can see your outfit because that's why you're going this Sunday. You got a new outfit. Shoes to match. Hat to match. Stop going up in there always looking to be given something. Go up in there giving something. Go give God your praise, your worship. Go give the brethren something in his house. At my church when I, I was going regularly. God was blessing me to be there all the time. With all that changed, I have work to do. The usher boys, they got something. And I was working on the deacon board. The pastor and his wife, they get a gift every now and then. The church get a gift. See, not just going up in there running to the altar, Lord, me and my children, Lord, me and my family. No, I wasn't doing that, and you shouldn't do it either. You got a secret closet at your house, get in it and stay until God moves if you want to. But go give in the church something. Give those ushers something. Give the pastor something, whether they married or not. Give them something. Ladies, give them something. Bake them a cake. I don't care what you do. Give them something other than he's single. He might want me for his wife. Always going to get something. Always looking for the hookup, even in church. That's crazy. The scriptures say his house would be called the house of prayer. Now go give the house of prayer a good gift. If you have to save up for it until Christmas, every week you put in $20 aside, $20 aside. Because if you can get them toes and them hands done, you can put $20 aside or more. But for the feet and the toes, it's probably $60 to $70. Put that aside. When Christmas comes, give the church a gift. Pastor, this for the congregation, you, your wife, and the congregation. It might be 10 cases of sodas. Everybody get a case, a, a, a half a case, or whatever it may be. But we always want, 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 
let's be givers. God love a cheerful giver. I think of ways to give. Yeah. 13 says, take note of all these things which I have said to you. Pay attention here. Remember this. And let not the names of other gods come into your minds from your lips. Don't talk about Buddha and all that stuff. Bill and all of that they had back then. He said, don't do that. Don't let it come into your mind from, or from your lips. Don't let it default and talk about it. Don't do it. 14 says, three times in the year, you ought to keep a feast to me. Three times a year. 15 says, you ought to keep the feast of the unleavened bread for seven days. Let your bread be without leaven. You know, yeast, uh, Baking soda, baking powder. No, don't don't put that in there. As I gave you orders at the regular time in the month of beer, for in it you came out of Egypt, and let no one come before me without an offering. Did you hear that? I know the church people are going to bring it, bring it, bring it, and the pastor going to get it. But no, he said this. Let no one come before me without an offering. Back to this, he loved a cheerful giver. Three times a year, he said, keep the feast of unleavened bread. I'm going to be making that bread today. Yeah. And the feast of the grain cutting, the first fruits of your planted field, and the feast at the start of the year, when you have got in all the food from your fields. Now, now, we don't get this no more. We get money now. So some of us get bonuses on the job. Uh, we get, you know, money from other places. Over in Alaska, I was getting what they call uh, dividends. <laughs> Once a year, they give you a lump sum most times. So now, that had to come to the Lord. You know, that our offering off of that had to come to him. Three times, verse 17, three times in the year let all your males come before the Lord God. Three times a year let the men come. 18 says, do not give the blood of my offering with leavened bread. And do not let the fat of my feast be kept all night till the morning. Don't do it. As soon as I get my tithe and offering, I get it out of my hand. As soon as I get seed money, I go ahead and plant it. Sometimes I hold the seed money a little bit longer because more is coming, and it make a big, you know, lump sum. So I put that seed on in the ground. Now, all that month, God is moving for me. All that month, God is moving in ways I can help other people, da-da-da-da-da, yah-yah-yah, all month long. I learned to be stress-free. I learned not to worry. I learned not to be over-concerned. If God did it in, in, in May, he going to do it in June. If he did it in January, he sure going to do it in July. He don't change. Yeah. And I am grateful unto him. Listen. 19 says, the best of the first fruit of your land are to be given, are to be taken into the house of the Lord, your God, 
The young goat is not to be cooked in his mother's milk. So look, when we're going to make that sacrifice, don't mix nothing crazy with it. Some people give into my numbers. I'm going to go play the lottery off these numbers. Don't do all that. Don't do all that. God don't need no help. I believe in water. I believe in olive oil, but I don't use a lot of that. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And when I call on Jesus, he moving. So I got to mix stuff up, you know, play the lottery. And I, I don't have to do all of that because I'm a giver and I'm a, a, a faithful giver. Not only that, a cheerful giver. It gives me great joy to give unto the Lord. It gives me joy to give unto others. That God is using me to give. Not in and everybody scammers. Y'all can stay away. It won't happen. 20 says, see, I'm sending an angel before you to keep you on your way and to be your guide into the place which I have made ready for you. He sent some help. If we need help, God going to send the leading guide us where we're supposed to go. But they was out there wandering around all that time when in a few days they could have been where they were supposed to be. But like us, they can't get it right. We got to mix the little natural in there. And it won't work. We got to have all spiritual. If we want God to do for us what we want him to do. And what he said he was able to do and capable of doing and he can do it. 21 says, give attention to him and give ear to his voice. Do not go against him. For your wrongdoing will not be overlooked by him because my name is in him. Don't do it. Give attention to the word of God. Give attention to the voice of God. Don't go against it because you want to do wrong and think he's going to overlook it. No, he's not going to overlook it. His name is. But if you truly give ear to his voice and do whatever I say, then I will be against those who are against you, fighting those who are fighting you. Did you hear that? I'm for him this morning. I know he's for me. Whoever fight against me, you're fighting against him. Whatever you take from me, you took it from him. Yeah. 23 says that my angel will go before you, guiding you into the land of the Amorite and the Hittite and the Pezzasite and the Canaanite and the Hivite and the Jebusite, and they will be cut off by my hand. All your enemies got to go. All right, I got the house now. That's the lawn service. Yeah. So look. 24 says, do not go down on your faces and give worship to their God. Uh, do as they do, but overcome them completely and let their pillars be broken down. Don't, don't hook up with Jehovah's Witnesses and all these other people. Because you done borrowed money and you in debt to them or whatever you got or whatever the situation was. Uh, they, they caught you at the right time. Don't, don't be partaker. Don't even open your door for them. I stopped opening my door for the Jesus Christ the Latter-day Saints. I baked them a cake. I baked them plenty of brownies. They came back there and they fixed my fence. They 
They they cleaned my pond out. They did some work for me. But I'm, I, I can't keep doing it. I refuse to sit down with you and you tell me about a man went up in a mountain and got something. <laughs> when God said, let there be light, light appeared. And the word was there all the time, his son Jesus. Let us make man. We got to be careful. 25 says, and give worship to the Lord your God, who will send his blessings on your bread and on your water, and I will take all disease away from among you. Did you hear that? Give worship to the Lord your God, who will send his blessings on your bread. That's your food. Your pantries, your refrigerator, your freezers won't be empty. And on your water, you'll keep having good water to drink. And will take all diseases away from among you. You won't be sick. 26 said, all your animals would give birth without loss. Not one would be without young in all your land. I will give you a full measure of life. 27 says, I will send my fear before you, putting to flight all the people to whom you come. All those who are against you will go in flight, turning their backs before you. Did you hear that? If we obey God, if we do what we're supposed to do, if we'll be holy because he's holy, if we'll keep our mind on him, he's going to keep us in perfect peace. He made us the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. No weapon that is formed against us shall prosper. We can look to the hills. If we do these things, any enemy you got, you ain't going to do nothing but see their back fleeing, running away from you. Yeah, God takes vengeance, not us. 28 says, I will send hornets before you driving out the Hivites and the Canaanites and the Hittites before your face. Look what he's going to use. Anybody ever told you the earth was healed, the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein? Hornets. <laughs> yes, Lord. <laughs> I don't like bees, wasps, or hornets. Uh-uh. 29 says, I would not send them all out in one year for fear that their land may become waste and the beasts of the field be increased over much against you. See, there'll be too many uh, lion, tigers, and bears out there. So I ain't going to do it all at one time, he tells me. And one, he, he won't, you know, measure it out, send it out in increments. Yeah. 30 says, little by little, I will send them away before you till your numbers are increased and you take up your heritage in the land. God got a purpose and a plan. He leads them to the promised land. 31 says, I will let the limits of your land be from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wasteland of the river Euphrates. For I will give the people of those lands into your power and you will send them out before you. Now he gave them all these instructions and look what he's telling them. You do this, I'm going to do that. If you do that, this will take place. 32 says, make no agreement with them or with their God. 33 says, let them not go on living in your land or they will make you do evil against me. But if you give worship to their God, it will certainly be a cause of sin to you. Don't go with no other God today. Don't get hooked up with these people serving a, a statue and got food on the floor 
close to the statue like a statue going to eat some oranges. Are you kidding me? Don't get hooked up with these people. A cow going to serve in their stead better than they think God will. Now, we, we got the risen Savior. We got the true and living God. Listen what we got. The true and living God. And this is what we need. But if you serve in any other God, I don't know what to tell you. I went to the nail shop. I was in Alaska when I went to this nail shop. And the ladies were sitting around and there and they looking strange and everything. And I'm like, what's going on? So, you know, I'm a friendly person. So I walk in the door and I say, good, good afternoon, everybody. Some of them mumbled, you know, whatever they feel. And so I sat in this chair, and when I sat in this chair, I didn't know any better, y'all. I'm telling you, I did not know this. There was these beautiful oranges on the side of the chair, and next to it was a Buddha doll. And I said, who put these oranges on the floor? These are beautiful. You mind if I have one? They got quiet in there. So I went outside and one of the ladies followed me out there. She said, that ain't God. And they put them oranges down there for they got. I said, girl, are you kidding me? I'm embarrassed. <laughs> are you kidding me? She said, no, that's a Buddha. They, they believe in Buddha and they sacrificing them oranges to Buddha. I said, and I got the sacrifice on the way from here. I can't, I can't, I don't want them touching my hand. Who do they got? No, I'm not going to be able to do this right here. So I went on down the road and never went back there. And every one of when I wanted my nails and feet done, I go in, I look around. Got any Buddha dolls in here with food around it? I got to go if they do. But God is good to us, and we should want to be good to him forever. We shouldn't turn our back on him for a car, a job, a house, some money. Somebody told you you could be over this and that. We, we go against God so we could have these things. Stay with the Lord. Go back to this old path and take a look around every now and then to make sure we're on that straight and narrow. Go straight and narrow leads to him, and few there be. But on that wide road, is crowded. People bumping into people. I was looking at, they were showing a Tina Turner clip, and thousands and thousands and thousands of people was at that concert. I was like, my goodness. Yeah, all of that. So we want to be careful, and we careful, and we want to, Make sure we let God know we love him. And, Lord, there's, there's nothing, you know, we can do without you. Help us today to be your people and you be our God. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I didn't know I would get quick. I, I, I went through as fast as I could so that I could open the studio. So if anyone have a testimony or something they want to say about this guy's testimony, I couldn't get his name, y'all, but I'm going to look for it. I didn't get his name, but I will look for it and uh, share his name. So, look, we're going to our next song of the morning. 
And when we come back, if you have something you would like to say, please feel free to press that number one and uh, come in today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay. All right. God bless you. 
I'm going to just mute you for, for now. Okay. Okay. All right. All right, Brother Jermaine, I'm coming at you right now. Good morning, sir. God bless you. How are you? I'm doing very well. Let me back on the show. Man, good to have you back. Welcome back. (laughs) Welcome back. Yeah, happy to see you. Whenever I can, you know, see you, it's a great thing. It's a great day. And so we thank God that he brought you back. And uh, we know that God is getting control of your situation and making things better. Patience, patience. That's the thing with God. Three things. Faith, trust, and patience. Yeah. When we look at he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, it all starts with believing. Faith. Yeah. Hallelujah. So welcome back again, Brother Jermaine. God bless you. Happy to have you back. Oh, yes, ma'am. And uh, I wanted to just finish up some, some quick pointers on my my last testimony I gave. You know, I was I left out some stuff because I gave a condensed version, but God did so many amazing things for me that it, it would be too long to do it at this portion of the show. But I'll just say all the steps that I needed to take, I took not even knowing I was taking them as far as notifying the job and going to the hospital, doing everything I needed to do. You know, I found out that the scripture you read earlier, sharing about people lying on you, that that is true. People will lie on you so quick to protect themselves. It's not even funny. And, you know, I had a situation where some managers had did improperly, they improperly handled my case. So, of course, they tried to protect themselves and throw me under the bus unknowingly. And kind of let me suffer a little bit, hoping I just come back and sweep things under the rug. But God said, "No, no, we're gonna sustain him." You know, he he held me in in ways that I couldn't even begin to tell. I don't even know how some of the bills got paid. It just did, or they was put on hold. Or people came in and did amazing things, just led by God to on his heart give me things that I never even asked for. He took care of me, you know. And um, I'm still going through it, but I know. I know who's going to win at the end, him, but even the medicines they tried to give me, Sister Barbara, they had side effects listed like suicide, everything else. When I saw that, I didn't even bother to take it. I said, you know what, I'm just going to pray God takes care of me. So I'm, I'm not putting anything in my body that has a, a side effect that's possible suicide that don't make any sense to me. So, you know, he, um, he's able, he, he's taking care of me, and I know it's not over yet, but... I know if I rely on trust on him, it's all going to end up where it's supposed to be. You know, really uh, encouraged. Appreciate your message. Amen. Amen. God bless you, Brother Jermaine. God is faithful. And a lot of times we are caught by surprise. Because, see, we, we, we know God has done things for us before. But we don't walk into that daily. I'm gonna let God handle it. Yeah, I'm 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 gonna put God on it. We don't walk in there every day. And when we're going through, a lot of times we don't look at Jesus, we look at what we are going through. But if we keep our mind on him, not only will he keep us in perfect peace, but he'll work things out. 
It's going to work together for your good. He said that. He called you. You love him. You're not perfect. You're struggling. You're striving for perfection, but he knows the very intent of your heart. And if the intent of your heart is right, it don't mean we always do right. When I look at Abraham, he counted Abraham's faith as righteousness, not what Abraham was doing, because we see what Abraham did. Uh, uh, Sarah said, go on in there to Haggai. I know you want a son. I know you want children. I'm not having them. Although God done told her, yes, she will. Abraham wanted that boy. He wanted a son. The angels come. All kind of stuff happened to them to, to, to be encouraged to know that God, but they aged. They said, well, I'm so old, God ain't going to do it. What? Age is nothing but a number. God have all power. God can take a 100-year-old woman and make her act like she's 20. She may be wrinkling, but she'll outdo a 20-year-old. He's got the power. We just got to keep believing God, trusting him, and having the patience to wait on him. Hallelujah. All right, Sister Jerry, I'm coming at you right now. Good morning. God bless you. Good morning, Sister Barbara. How are you today? I am blessed. Yes, you are, and I thank you so much for the testimony this morning. I just sit there and lay and I said, Lord, I haven't always been good, but I've sure been faithful. And you know how the enemy can come at you and just tell you all the things you've done in your life, when you're quiet moment, it seems like your whole world is falling down. You're digging out from a lot of rubble, because last week and this week has been a very rough, Week. But three fifteen this morning God said, All of this is for your good. He said, You know, what it looked like is not what it looked like. You're gonna be the one that helps bring on other people that's gonna lose their way along the way. No, you didn't go to jail, but you sure should have, shouldn't you? Yes, God. No, you didn't get caught doing that, but you sure should have because you was right there. I know. He said, so if I save you from all of that, and your house is in foreclosure with a note on the door, and the next week I sent you your deeds in the mail, who do you say I am? I had to lay down and cry, and I said, Lord, you're the God of the most, you are the God of all the most high God, God, thank you. He said, no, wait now. You had no job, no income, and a divorce. And your car was broke down. They had to tow it into the dealer. They gave you $3,000 for that car and gave you a brand new car, drive off the lot, and you didn't have to make your first payment until February. You got it in September. First payment not due to February. Oh, yeah, that's right, God. And if I've done all of that, Jerry, why are you laying here crying and saying, I, I've been so bad and everything, I just can't get it out of my mind? You try to involve Barbara with it. Barbara, you know, Barbara, like, Jerry, Jerry, thank God, you need therapy. Thank you, Barbara, no matter how late I call, you listen. Thank you. 
I mean, cause I was just yes, last week was just such a traumatic shock to me that I couldn't handle it. But I didn't even have to handle it twenty four hours, did I, Barbara? No. But I felt like it had been an eternity. But it wasn't even twenty four hours. So I just want to say, Lord, I thank you. When I find my way looking like I'm all shut down and all lost, teach me how to stop, look to the hills, because you're there. Lord, when I look like I can't go no further, say, I am your shepherd. I have anointed your head with oil. Your cup is running over. When it looks like your freezer is empty, I'm already unprepared to table in front of the people that thought they were taking all your food out the house. So today, Barbara, Jean Pittman, I'm that same, not that same old girl that skipped the hop, hoppity skip, but I'm that same old girl that still needs Barbara to say, Sister Jerry, you got this. God will never leave us for Lean not onto your own understanding, because what you're doing, you 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 trying to blame yourself for your brothers dying and your sisters and brothers on drugs, and you're a bad little thing. You you, you all that there, but I'm none of that, Barbara. I just had a little meltdown. So thank you for pulling me out of Lodabar. I try to stay out of it, but it seems like sometimes when I close my eyes, I look around and I see something somebody don't did to me, and I say, well, God, I deserve it. I deserve it. But I don't deserve it, Father. Thank you. You'll drop whatever you're doing. I mean, I didn't know what I was going to do when I called you. I didn't know how I was going to get out of what I got, my childhood got into. And we had never faced something like that in our lives. Sister Barbara, thank you. Because you do realize that you ain't about nothing. <laughs> but that day you was about everything to me. You held me together when I was falling apart. And I felt the Holy Ghost among you. And you say, listen, sis, let's keep, let's calm down, let's behind us now, let's keep going. And that's what I got to learn to do. That's behind me now, keep going. Or someone that always looking back was, I don't know why I didn't go to jail because I was always looking over my shoulder. Yeah. Well, see, they got to go. They got to go. They keep making too much noise. You've been good to me, Father. Lord, it's been very good to me. All my friends I had, I had so many friends, my phone would ring and I couldn't even ask all of them. They was there to teach me how to spend money and hit the back of the box. Now my money is low and my change is strange. None of them calls me. Yeah. Well, when see, they Jerry, call me, they're still trying to. This is the whole thing, Jerry. Keeping your mind on him. <laughs> and not going, not allowing the devil to bring your past back up. Knowing this, look at this man, what position he was in. He was a drug lord. He went from worse to worse. Come out, went back in. And when you go back in, you're carrying seven more demons than you had before. 
So yes, you don't want to go. You don't want to dwell on your past. Get something new. Get a new future. Something new. God will give you something new if you come out from back there. Because what what's back there, you can't undo it. It's already been done. That devil used to tell me this when I first come to the Lord, and he tried it sometime now. You lost your children, but I got them back. Uh, you went to prison, but I was released. Uh, you, you used to do this, and you used to do that, and you used to treat people like this and treat people like that. You use the word used to. I'm no longer that. I no longer do that. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things passed away, and behold, I'm new. I'm not the old Barbara. God made me over. God made me over. And I refuse to go with what the devil telling me. He's a liar. He's the father of all lies. He tells the first lie. So I can't go with what he said. I'm the head, Jerry. You need to write these things down. I'm the head and not the tail. And not tail. I'm above and not beneath. No weapon that is formed against me shall prosper. He didn't say the weapon wouldn't form, but it won't grow no bigger. It's not going to overtake you. I mean... After that happened to Kevin, I thought I was the wrong person for these children. Look what I've done to him. Look what I've done. And then I saw Mark on and I said, oh, God, this is all my fault. God said, he didn't kill him, did he? No. He said, don't try to give me an excuse. Maybe I allowed it so he could learn when there's no more you what he'll face. Okay. And then you said. You were a great mom. You acted like they were real clean children. Okay. Ronald Reagan, I mean, you got them horseback and riding. You got them in a expensive daycare. Well, you said this day. $75 a week for each child. You, you, you're bowling out with them. But well, you didn't learn them discipline. Well, even when they mess up, you say, okay, don't do that no more. And here you go. You broke the remote, but don't do that no more. Here's a new one. Okay, don't do that no more. Here's another car, Al. You totally lost that one, but I'll get you another one. That's not what you do. So you got to let them suffer some consequence. And that's when I felt guilty because if they got in something and couldn't get out, Mama, can you make that happen? I'm not God. I'm not supposed to be making nothing happen. When you reach age of 12, you should have stopped doing everything you were doing. But instead, I kept rewarding you for your bad behavior. Lord, I thank you. Listen, Jerry. Like the cocktail man, he just kept going in. Jerry Crown, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can hear you, but you appeared to couldn't hear me. Listen, this is what you got to do. You said it yesterday. Jesus had stripes on him. They whipped him. You said that yesterday. I can't get my phone to turn up where I can hear you good. Oh, okay. Okay. Okay, listen. Concerning Calvin and the and the well, you said yesterday, Jesus took a beating. Moses did this. You know, and, and you got to stick with 
You gotta stick with that. I think it's her phone. She's working on it, y'all. She's it's working my phone because I got it so low and I don't know how to turn it up, but I still hear you. Okay, so look, we gonna give everything to the Lord and leave it there. Are you listening? Take your burdens to yes, the ma'am. Lord and leave them there. When you get through praying, don't 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 allow yourself to think back on what the enemy said. That's why you went to God so He can handle it. Yeah, and it's already all right today in Jesus' name. Matter of fact, Jerry, I got something for you, and uh, I want you to listen to this. I'm gonna dedicate this song to you right now. I'm gonna mute your mic, okay. but just bear with me here, man.
matter of fact, I'm going to send that to you. I'm going to text that song uh, to you because we want God to cover us. And if we are covered by him, no weapon that is formed against us shall prosper. The enemy cannot win. Or it looks like he got it under control and he winning. But in the end, God is going to show him who have all power. Yeah. And we have to remember this. God have all power. There's no higher power. Nothing can that's coming against us is more powerful than almighty God. So what we do is we go back to God for everything. I'm telling that enemy used to come and tell me stuff. Look at you. Your baby messed up because you, you let her go to foster care. The devil is alive. My baby messed up because she won't surrender to God. Let's, let's be honest here. He already come and told her what he had for her to do. She refused because she want to stay in the world. Yeah, we all been through some trauma. We all been through some trials, some troubles. A lot of family, we look at the family and say, oh, they got so much love for each other. They always together. They the best. Fake. If you could get in there and really see what's in there, you look up under the rug because they don't swept a lot of things under the rug to keep you from seeing. So none of that phases me. Oh, they brother don't do drugs. They sister don't do drugs. Why am I doing drugs? I'm not going to ask God why nobody doing nothing. I accept, hallelujah, when God I'm better off anyway. Yeah, my boy's bad, but I'm saying <laughs> I face the fact, and I don't stray. I turn my faith loose. God bring me out with all the proof. I don't question God. I just accept. Now, you can ask him. You can question me, but I don't. I just accept. I've learned to accept what Almighty God allows. I'm better off anyway. He's going to work it out. If I stay on that straight and narrow, he's going to work it out. If I keep my mind on him, if I cast my cares upon him because I know he cares for me, anything I can't do, I take it to him. It's already all right today in Jesus' name. He done already worked it out. Oh, I feel all right right there. Amen goes right there. Yeah. I'm grateful unto him. And that's what we have to do. We have to let go and just let God have his way in our lives. But we're afraid to give him everything. We just got to hold on. You're holding on to nothing because you can't do nothing without him. Let it go. Trust him. And have the patience to wait on him. He's coming. He didn't forget you. Hallelujah. Is there anyone else? We have just a few minutes left. If not, I will pray. Good morning, Pastor David. God bless you this morning. Good morning, Sister Dorothy Goodman. Minister Shonda, good morning to you. Sister Irene, good morning. God bless you. Good morning, Don. God bless you this morning. And uh, Brother Lewis had to run out. And um, what was his name? The One Nation. He was with us in the chat room for a few minutes. And so we thank God for him. I meant to send the good morning to him and never did send it. Type it in the, in the box and never just send this thing uh, out. I'm going to have to pray and work on a co-worker here in a minute because I'm going to need some help around here. <laughs> so we thank God. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for all that has been said and done. We thank you that in your due time, deliverance is coming for those that 
have been suffering and going through. And, Lord, you allowed it because you want to show that you're God. And without you, we can do nothing, and you have all power. There's no higher power. Move today, Father, in a mighty way in the name of Jesus. We give you glory. We give you the honor. And, Father, we give you the praise. There's none like you. And as we depart this morning, bless our going out. Father, bless our coming in. Meet the need in our lives today according to your riches and glory by your son, Christ Jesus. We thank you. We thank you. We can't thank you enough. And, Father, we ask it all this morning in Jesus' name. Amen and hallelujah. May the Lord watch between me and thee while we are absent one from another in the name of Jesus. Go today in love and peace. Share the good news of Jesus and give someone something of quality. God loves a cheerful giver. Have a blessed day. I speak the blessings of Almighty God upon you today, May the 30th, 2023, in Jesus' name. So at this time, I'm going to say bye-bye. Have a blessed day, and we're going to this one for our last song of the morning. In Genesis, Jesus Christ is the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he is a Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is our high priest. In Numbers, he is a pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he is the prophet like unto Moses. In Joshua, he is the captain of our salvation. In Judges, he is our judge and lawgiver. In Ruth, he is our kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he is our trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he is our reigning king. In Ezra, he is the rebuilder of the broken down walls of human life. In Esther, he is our Mordecai. In Job, he is our ever-living redeemer. In Psalms, he is our shepherd. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he is our wisdom. In Song of Solomon, he is our loving bridegroom. In Isaiah, he is the prince of peace. Jeremiah, he is our righteous branch. In Lamentations, he is our weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he is the wonderful four-faced man. In Daniel, he is the fourth man who watched the fiery furnace. In Hosea, he is the faithful husband, forever married to the backslider. In Joel, he is the baptizer with the Holy Ghost and fire. In Amos, he is our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he is mighty to save. In Jonah, he is our great foreign missionary. In Micah, he is the messenger of beautiful feet. In Nahum, he is the avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, he is God's evangelist, crying, Revive thy work in the midst of the year. In Zephaniah, he is our savior. In Haggai, he is the restorer of God's lost heritage. In Zechariah, this fountain opened up in the house of David for sin and uncleanliness. And in Malachi, he is the son of righteousness, rising with healing in his wings. In Matthew, he is the king of the Jews. In Mark, he is the servant. In Luke, he is the son of man, feeling what you feel. In John, he is the son of God. In Acts, he is the savior of the world. In Romans, he is the righteousness of God. In 1 Corinthians, he is the rock of all deserves. In 2 Corinthians, he is the triumphant one, giving victory. In Galatians, he is your liberty. He set you free. In Ephesians, he is the head of the church. In Philippians, he is your joy. In Colossians, he is your completeness. In 1 and 2 Thessalonians, he is your hope. In 1 Timothy, he is your faith. Second Timothy, he is your stability. In Philemon, he is your benefactor. In Titus, he is truth. In Hebrews, he is your perfection. In James, he is the power behind your faith. In 
First Peter, he is your example. In Second Peter, he is your purity. In First John, he is your life. In Second John, he is your pattern. In Third John, he is your motivation. In Jude, he is the foundation of your faith. In Revelation, he is your coming king. He is the first and the last, beginning and the end. He is the keeper of creation and the creator of all. He is the architect of the universe and the manager of all time. He always was, he always is, and he always will be. Unmoved, unchanged, undefeated, and never undone. He was bruised and brought healing. He was pierced and he's pain. He was persecuted and brought freedom. He was dead and brought life. He is risen and brings power. He reigns and brings peace. The world can't understand him. The armies can't defeat him. The schools can't explain him. And the leaders can't ignore him. Air couldn't kill him. Pharisees couldn't confuse him. People couldn't hold him. Nero couldn't crush him. Hitler couldn't silence him. The New Age can't replace him. And Oprah can't explain him away. He is life, love, longevity, and more. He is goodness, kindness, gentleness, and God. He is holy, righteous, mighty. His ways are right. His word is eternal. His will is unchanging, and his mind is on me. He is my redeemer. He is my savior. He is my guide. He is my peace. He is my joy. He is my comfort. He is my Lord. He rules my life. 